All right, let's, let's jump into this. I'm really excited about this. I just want to finish what we started last Sunday. Um, not necessarily finish it, but just say a few more thoughts about it. Hey, Brian. Lord, we just thank you that your grace is here with us and inside of us because we are inside of you. Lord, we just thank you that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. I just thank you, Father, for the the grace you show me every day. I thank you that your love is toward us for forever and a day, like the song says, forever and a day. And we have no fear, for perfect love has cast out all fear. Lord, I just thank you that you really have done something so awesome that we can run into your arms. We can go boldly into a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. And though the enemy throws many darts at us and many schemes are planned for us and many circumstances work against us, yet the shield of faith will quench every fiery dart. The shield of faith, the faith that if God be for us, who or what can be against us? The shield of faith that says Jesus himself has come to us as the Lamb of God and has taken away the sin of the world. The faith that says God is now my daddy. Now I have the spirit of the son in me that cries out, Abba, Papa. The faith that says that my father, my Papa, my Papa, no longer counts my sins against me. For God was in Christ reconciling the whole world unto himself, not counting our sins against us anymore. Awesome grace. Awesome. And he who has received this abundant grace and the gift, this gift of righteousness, shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. That's so awesome. Father, I pray that your heart that's in my heart would manifest in the words I speak this morning. I pray that your heart would be felt in the hearts of my brothers and sisters. I pray that they will cut through wrong teaching and wrong thinking and hear the heart of the Father. I pray that this message will help us be even more convinced and encouraged that there is no fear in God. For perfect love has cast out all fear and we have nothing to be afraid of either in this life or the life to come. Help us sort through what has been wrongly taught about the judgment seat of Christ. That we might see what the scripture really says. That there not be a single believer that has any, any hesitation, any fear, any trepidation about the coming of the Christ. For his bride eagerly awaits him. 
For she knows that he has made her without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing. Such is the power of the blood of the Son of the living God. Such is the work of this Christ, this Messiah, this hope, this consolation. And let no man and no teaching rob your children of the great joy that you have planned when you see them face to face. For he is able to present you before him blameless with exceeding joy. He waits eagerly to embrace us face to face. Let no teaching, no man rob your children from this. This purchased by the blood of God himself. For you have sworn with an oath that I swear by myself. He is your high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And your sins will never be held against you again. And I swear this with an oath that those who have fled to me for refuge may have strong encouragement. That they may know that I am with them always. And they are with me even until the end of the world and beyond. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit. For who can say these things and know these things except by the Holy Spirit? Thank you for the power of the presence. Thank you for the power of your presence. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Papa. Thank you, Papa. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Last Sunday we talked about, we started to talk about this teaching about the judgment seat of Christ. And as we know, it's widely taught in the church that the believer will stand, the believer will stand before God one day and give an account of everything he's done in his life and a judgment will be rendered regarding the works of the believer. That's why, um, well, and it's widely taught that this judgment of the works of the believer, not the believer himself or herself, because it's, it's clear that a person who has their faith in Jesus and trust in Jesus is righteous because of Jesus, and he's going to heaven because of Jesus, not because of his good works. But the teaching goes something like this, that though you're saved and though you're going to heaven because you have believed on Jesus, yet, yet the believer's works will still be judged by God at the judgment seat of Christ to determine rewards or no rewards, or the amount of rewards, or whatever. And this is really, um, this is really half right and half wrong. That's the problem. Uh, the enemy comes in with, with uh, 
mixture. It is true that the works of the believer will result in rewards. It's very clear in Scripture that there are rewards for the believer. And there's fruit bearing that it will be rewarded in heaven, will be rewarded by Christ himself. There, is, there are rewards for the works of the believer, the fruit that comes forth from our lives as we abide in him. Although you'll notice there's not a whole lot of talk about it in Scripture, not a lot of emphasis about it, but it's just, it's there. It's a, it's a, it's a glorious reality that we can rejoice in, but we don't focus on the rewards. We focus on him. As God said to Abraham, Abraham, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. So ultimately, our reward is God himself. God himself. Amen. And in God are these incredible riches and treasures that are in him that will be revealed further as we step over to the other side. But it is true, and the scripture is clear about that, um, that there are rewards for the works of believers. However, it is not true that there is going to be a judgment for the works of believers. A judgment for the works of believers is not in the scripture. And that's what I'm trying to talk about this morning and, and last week. Um, when you bring in this concept that God is going to judge our works as a believer, you bring in the aspect of fear. There's no way around it. No way to sugarcoat it. I mean, I, they try to sugarcoat it in this teaching. They try to say, well, you know, it's not, that, you know, it's not for heaven. It's, you're going to heaven. It's, but on a scale of 1 to 10, you have some preachers that are really heavy on this teaching, and you are, you are really fearful of this inspection that's coming up. You know, when you stand before the Lord and He inspects your fruit. Some people have gone to the point of where they, they say, uh, you know, a big screen's going to be opened up to the believer and show, I see, hot, I see nods, yes, I've heard that. Um, your whole life is going to be shown as a believer. And so you'll, you know, you'll lose some rewards and gain some rewards because all this is going to be exposed. And some, people, some teachers even teach that this is going to be done in front of all the other believers. I mean, the all of heaven is going to be... That is, that is so, of course, on a scale of 1 to 10, that's, well, that's a 10, I guess. That's a 10. So foreign to the work of Christ in that the Lord says, I remember your sins no more. And that he's actually taken away our sins and taken away all that we've done that is not of Christ. It's gone. It's, it's, not, even, it's not even considered. God doesn't even deal with the flesh. He doesn't relate to the flesh. He doesn't, there's no relationship with the flesh. There's a relationship with the spirit, with the new man, with the new creation. He deals with Jacob, not Esau. Esau is the old man. Jacob is the new man. And so it's all about what we've done for him, through him, and by him, and for him, that brings reward. So there's not even a consideration for where we missed it or where we lack, you know. That's, that's the point. Does that make sense? It's awesome. It's an awesome, awesome reality. That, I mean, his, Jesus said that in his, in his field or in his, among his fruit trees, Orange trees, say apple trees. He goes, some will bear 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. There's never a hint of any displeasure in the Lord because of the 30-fold. Or the 60-fold. Or the, never, never a hint. In fact, one of the letters to the book of Revelation says, you have little faith. I mean, you have little uh, strength. You're, you're weak. You're li- you have little strength. But you have not denied my name. Because that's all he is looking for primarily is faith. Believe. Believe only. 
believe only. Let him do the rest through us. So as believers, we don't focus on the reward, although it's there. Rewards are there for the believer. It will, it, it will surely come. Um, we don't know all the details, and he doesn't want us to know all the details. Because if we knew all the details, we'd be like, oh, I want to sit on your right hand. No, I want to sit on your left hand. No, I want to... Like the, like the apostles. They, they were like arguing about who's going to be on his right hand, left hand. Whatever. And the Lord says, you know, that's not the issue. You just look at me and follow me. And desire, which a desire is placed in us by the Spirit of God, desire to bear as much fruit as possible for his glory because of what he has done for us. But not in the sense I'm going to work for him because he's done this for me. I, I, I don't like songs that sing sometimes like, you know, because he's done all this for us, all this we have to do for him. That can easily get you back on a track of trying to pay God back for what he did, which you and I can never do, of course. So it's very important to keep separate in our thinking. There, there, is, there, there is no judgment for the works of the believer. There's no judgment, period. Now, the first clue that we should have about this, this teaching about the judgment seat of Christ ought to be the first clue is that it's called the judgment seat of Christ. I mean, it, that's what it's called. It's, there is no, Jesus said in John chapter 5, he said, he who believes on me shall not come into judgment, but is already passed from death and into life, shall not come into judgment. And yet this, this thing is called the judgment seat of Christ. So, it's, it's not, a, it, it's not um, this passage in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is not talking about a judgment for the believer's works as it is commonly taught. And as we said last Sunday, usually the teaching combines the 2 Corinthians chapter 5 chapter with the 1 Corinthians chapter 3 chapter about rewards and tries to put those two together to make you think that, yeah, this, this is a, the judgment here and this is the rewards here. This goes together. They are two separate issues completely. And that's what I wanted to spend some time this morning on to look at the scriptures themselves. This is like a part two. We didn't have time to go verse by verse, but I want to try to do some of that this morning um, because it's just so important. And, and I don't want to re, re say what I said last Sunday, but keep in mind, saints, the book of Revelation shows us behind the veil things that um, awesome things that will, be, that will be seen in heaven and things that are, that are real um, and to be revealed later, as well as things that have already happened. And there's not a single scene in the book of Revelation, not a single scene of the believer standing before God, the believer standing before God in judgment for their works. It's not there. If that's such an important thing, an important teaching... Why does, it, why does it not appear once in the book of Revelation? There is no scene where the believer stands before God and God judges the believer's works in the book of Revelation. does not appear. What does appear in the book of Revelation is a, a glorious account of those who have believed and who are part of the first resurrection. And they shall reign with Christ forever. Well, it says a thousand years, but that's symbolic, I think. But they shall reign with Christ, the first resurrection. Then you also have a mention in the book of Revelation of the bride. I show, I show you the, the bride of the lamb, the lamb's wife, how she comes down having the glory of God. And you also have in there a mention of a great marriage feast. Notice not a marriage. There is no marriage in the book of Revelation. This is a whole other message. But there's no marriage in the book of Revelation. Because you know, you know why? You're already married. Yeah. 
Do you realize people are talking about, you know, we're all engaged to Christ and he's going to come and take us away and we're going to get married? No. You are one with him now. Paul says, I know this mystery is great. I know this mystery is great. But he who has left his mother and father and cleaves to his wife are one. He said, even so as the church and Christ, we are one with him. We have, when you have, when you, his, his proposal to you is the gospel. He proposes to you in the gospel. You accept when you say yes and you're married and he gives you the ring of the Holy Spirit. The seal of union. And now we wait. No, there's no marriage in the book of Revelation. There's just a big reception that we've been waiting for for a long time. And there's no divorce. Right, that's right. And so here you are, this, this, this awesome uh, bride. And notice the Revelation says, I show you the wife of the Lamb. The wife of the Lamb. When did that happen? The wife of the Lamb. The wife, the wife, the wife of the Lamb. So... Revelation talks about this marriage feast where we'll be celebrating this awesome union and he will see us face to face. But this union has already taken place. Isn't that awesome? Yes. So don't be thinking of yourself as someone who is just engaged to him, but someone who is married to him. My bride, my wife, my fair one. That's the one you're going to see. And he's the one that's waiting for you. It's not going to be a judgment of your works. It's going to be a reward. Okay, let's look at some of these. Uh, oh, yeah, beyond the revelation thing, that there's no scene of a judgment of the believer's works. Secondly, we talked about, and I don't want to do the whole thing over again, but secondly, we talked about there's not a single parable that Jesus spoke of about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, not, not a single parable that talks about this judgment of the works of the believer, not a single one. Um, you had the parable of the, of the sheep and the goats, but you don't have a parable of, a, of an examination of the sheep. You have a parable of a dividing of sheep and goats, those who have believed and those who have not believed. You have a parable of the, the wheat and the tares. There's not a single one. And the, we talked about the parable of the talents. One had 10 talents. One had five talents. One had no, no fruit at all because they didn't believe. They, they were thrown into outer darkness. That's an unbeliever. The one who brought back ten talents, the one who brought back five talents, the Lord said exactly the same thing to both of them. To both of them. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I'll, make you, I'll give you authority over much. Then the, the one who had five talents, he said the exact same words. What, what was the point he was trying to make? He's trying to make the point that it's not a matter of how much. It's a matter of that you believed. Let, let God sort out the rewards. Don't worry about that. Yes, there's awesome rewards, but... I tell you, the parable of the laborers in the field, it may not be as we think. They worked all day, Jesus said, in the field. And the, the owner of the field came out and paid, paid, uh, was going to pay wages, but he noticed that um, he, could, you know, he, he had plenty of money and, and uh, he wanted to hire some more workers. So he went back into town and hired a few more workers to come in. There was only an hour left in the day, but he said, go and work and I'll give you what is fair. He had already agreed with the other laborers about what was fair and they agreed that's a good, that's a good wage. They worked all day. At the end of the day, they all came in. And the owner, who was rich, plenty of money, very generous owner, said, okay, let's see, you worked all day. What, what do we agree with? We agreed to, and okay, yeah, okay, great. And they said, excellent, thank you, that's what we agreed to. Then, the, then they waited to see what these guys were going to get. They worked only for one hour. The owner went over there and gave them the same amount as those who worked all day. Huh. 
What is the Lord saying about this? And then the ones who got the first payment said, it's not fair. I mean, we worked all day and you're paying them who worked only one hour the same thing you paid us. And the owner said, did we not agree that this was a fair price at the beginning? That you, didn't you think this was a fair price? Well, yeah, we thought it was actually very generous. I mean, yeah, you actually overpaid us, but we, we, still, don't think this, well, we still don't think this is fair, you know? You know he did. The owner overpaid, even those who worked all day. But he said, but it's still not fair. I mean, they worked only one hour. And, uh, and then he made this statement in the parable. The owner said, why do you think it's evil for me to be generous with what is my own? Do not, I, do not I have the right to pay them whatever I will with, with my own? See, grace and rewards and all of that may not be as we suppose. For the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's not exactly as we suppose. So it's, it's an awesome thing to, um, to see the heart of God. And when you see the heart of God, you can cut through wrong teaching pretty easily, actually, because you can see, no, he can't be like that because I know him. Okay. All right, let's look at this real quick. Um, let's first look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, please. That's correct. That's a very good question. He was not a believer, and we know he's not a believer because he was thrown into outer darkness where there's gnashing of teeth. That's not a believer who didn't get a reward. That is exactly the words used by Jesus in other places about health. So he was thrown into outer darkness where there's gnashing of teeth. That's an unbeliever. And it's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because it's interesting because he did not believe it's implied in the parable that he did not believe because he had a view of the owner as a hard task master. What is the Lord saying there? That if you don't see me rightly, if you don't see me as generous and giving and merciful, you might be afraid to give your life to me. And so because of his distorted view of a good God and didn't see the goodness of God, I, I was afraid because I saw you as an evil, not evil, but he didn't say evil, but as a, a tough, harsh taskmaster. I, I didn't receive what you, that's what the parable is talking about. I, I hid it because I didn't, I didn't believe I could, I could pull it off. You were too, you're too tough. So what is the Lord saying there? It's, it's a revelation of who he is that enables us to bear much fruit because we see how generous he is and how good he is. Isn't that cool? Good question, though. Okay, let's go uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay, let's, let's start with um, verse 9, chapter 5, verse 9. What I want to do, saints, is go through this verse by verse, and then I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the passage about rewards that is brought up in conjunction with this chapter, and look at that real quick. Okay, let's go uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Well, before verse 9, 1 through 8, just a quick summary, 1 through 8, 
He's talking about when he dies as a believer, he's got an eternal home in the heavens, and he groans to be clothed with that eternal home, and he cannot wait to leave this body, but, you know, but he knows it's good for him to be now in the body so he can help others see and believe and so forth. But in the first verses, 1 through 8, there's no hint there of any, any fear of stepping over. There's just this incredible groaning to be clothed with immortality, to, to step over. And you can see that clearly if you read verses 1 through 8, that this is, this is Paul saying, man, we, we have a tent. Uh, I mean, we have a place, we have a home when this tent is destroyed. And, and so he's got this, this, this earnest desire to, to be clothed with this new immortal body that's waiting for him. Okay, then he goes in verse 9. Therefore, also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear, now that in the Greek that means terror, fear, means, it means like a, a terror, a fearful terror, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we, we are made manifest to God. I mean, in other words, God knows us. And I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. I hope you realize that we are also, because they always doubted whether he was a real apostle or whatever. And some of the Judaizers were always saying that, you know, he's not really a believer because he doesn't teach the law and that kind of thing. So he's making that comment that we are believers and God knows us. And I hope you realize that we are, of, you know, his ambassadors also. Verse 12. We are not again commending ourselves to you, by, but are giving you an occasion to, to be proud of us that you may have an, an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. Now, right there, he's talking about the Judaizers, the legalists, who take pride in their appearance, but not in heart. So he's trying to say, we, we are one of God's, we're God, of God's people, but these other guys who are teaching you, you know, the, the law and mixing the, the two covenants are not of God, um, but we are. Okay, look at this in verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, because they, they claimed that Paul was kind of beside himself, that he was kind of crazy. Because he talked about this awesome reality of a new creation and how that we are really in the heavens. And that, you know, that, that the body, the power of sin is in the body and, and that we can walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And, and you know, this dichotomy of flesh and spirit, it's like without revelation, the natural man says, you're beside yourself. Or, or as the Roman leader said, you know, much learning has made you mad, Paul. What are you talking about? When you get this, you can't live without it. I mean, when you get this, you can't live without it. I mean, the reality that you are really not of the earth anymore. You are really from above. That you really live your life from heaven now. Seated with him in heavenly places. That the body of, the power of sin is in the body and not um, in you. The power of sin is not in the real you, but it's in the body, the members of our body, the scripture says. And that's why Paul says in Colossians to put to death the deeds of the body on earth. The body on earth, he says on earth, because you're really seated with Christ in heaven. So walk in the spirit so you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh because that's not the real you. The real you will manifest through this mortal body because the spirit can put to death the deeds of the body and manifest for the spirit is able to quicken the mortal body and manifest who you really are through this vessel. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so... So it seems, it seems a strange thing. Even Peter said, you know, some of the things Paul teaches are kind of, kind of hard to hear, kind of hard to understand. Even Peter said that. So if it seems kind of hard to get at first, it, it's only because the natural doesn't get this. But when the revelation comes by the Spirit, you go, of course, of course, it can be no other way. God cannot dwell inside of me unless I'm perfect. 
and he made me perfect. A whole another teaching that we'll do maybe one Sunday is that it's not just it's not just the impartation of righteousness that God has given us. He hasn't just I'm sorry, uh, imputation. It's not just the imputation of righteousness as a gift. We're not just as Martin Luther said, um, dung inside, clothed with snow, snow on top of dung. We're not just a righteousness that's been imputed, but on the inside we're just as vile as ever. No, God not only imputed righteousness as a foundation, as a ground for his work, because by justice required there be a judgment of sin. So Christ became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So the grounds or the foundation of his work would have to be the death of Christ, but the resurrection of Christ was his handiwork in that now that on the grounds of this justice, I can raise a new creation in righteousness and not only just impute righteousness as the foundation for this work, but impart it in resurrection and new creation. That's awesome. That is awesome. Think about that, saints. You're not just counted righteousness as Abraham was. He was counted. He had, I'm going on to a whole different message. He he was, it was, it was imputed to Abraham by faith. But what they did not have, Hebrew says, that we have, which is why they descended to Sheol when they died and did not ascend. What they did not have that we have is that we not only have the imputed righteousness of, of Abraham by faith, but we have, the work of the Son Himself when He raised a new creation and not only imputed righteousness through your faith, but imparted righteousness by an act of creation. For we have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we should afterwards just walk in. It's awesome. You are not just snow over dung and dung covered by snow. You are snow through and through. Though our sins be as scarlet, He has made them white as snow. Even to our core of our being. Yes, a partaker of the divine nature. For he who believes on me, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. A new creation has come. It's awesome. And as you see yourself this way, as you see yourself this way, things change. Things begin to change. It is a whole new dynamic, a heavenly dynamic that makes, that brings joy. Joy. And that's a mark of the gospel, joy. That's why on the cross he called himself a worm. Because when he eats a worm, he eats dumb, and he turns it into pure fertilizer, brand new. So beautiful things can grow. Yeah, that's, a good, that's one way to look at it. Exactly you know, the, cat, the, the, the butterfly is a pic, beautiful picture of that, the new creation from a, a whole new creation. You know, you're not just, the, the butter, I mean, the, the caterpillar is just not counted as a butterfly. No. no. It is a butterfly. It flies. It's a whole new creation. After going through death and burial, you know, the, the cocoon, it's a picture. God is painting another picture of the mystery of Christ from caterpillar to butterfly. A whole new creation. It's awesome. And the beautiful wings, you can't even, a caterpillar can't touch that. Caterpillars have dirt in front of their face all the time. They're, you know, they're always looking at sin. Caterpillars look at sin. They look at dirt. They climb on the earth. Butterflies look at the sky. They're from another home, another place. All right. Okay. All right. Let me just say this on this, on this passage right here. Let me finish the last few verses. Let me just go back. We don't have much time to finish up the uh, 1 Corinthians 3. Okay. 
We were at first, uh, verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, for we are of sound mind. It is for you. In other words, we are of sound mind, even though it may sound, this is, sound like this is, you know, this caterpillar butterfly talk is weird. We're of sound mind. Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Do you notice here, saints, that there's not a mention of the word reward anywhere in here? Do you get the, the, do you get the sense in this passage that he's talking about rewards for believers? Or do you get the sense that he's trying to persuade men to be like him and, and that he is a believer and they're not a believer and there's a terrible appointment waiting that is terrible that you will give an account of what you've done in your body whether it be good or whether it be evil and therefore we persuade men that if one died for all then all died in other words if one took the judgment for all then all have already received the judgment persuade men to what see if this is talking about rewards first you'd have the word reward appear somewhere in there right secondly you would have them he would you would not you would never have paul say to the believer knowing the terror of the lord we persuade men what no that's not that is not consistent with even the teaching of the so-called teaching of the believer standing before god to get rewards there's no terror for the believer in regard to rewards at all this is a strong word in the greek it means terror it means to stand before the living god in your own righteousness to be judged by your own deed what you what you have done in the body whether it be good whether it be evil what jesus said that you shall give an account of every thought every word spoken that's what he's talking about here that's what you do not have to do he was talking to the pharisees and their self-righteousness and thought they were righteous and he said i tell you every thought every word every deed you shall give an account to before god now watch how he finishes this this is so awesome verse 15 and he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf therefore from now on We recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. He came in a body. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, not counting what they did in their body, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And he has committed to us the word of this reconciliation Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us or begging through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made him who knew no sin to be What we did in our body, whether it be good or whether it be evil, that we might become what he did in his body in the in the reconciliation of in the in the working of righteousness and living of righteousness without sin. An exchange took place. You see that, saints? You really see it? You really see it? Don't let someone take this passage and say this is about rewards. This whole thing, this whole passage is about, a belie- about uh, Paul trying his earnest 
And it's to, to persuade men, to beg men, to, to uh, realizing that this is a terrible thing to stand before God and not have this gift of righteousness. It's a terrible thing to stand before God and give an account of what you've done in your body, whether it be good, whether it be evil, if you don't have without this gift of righteousness. Because God doesn't count our good or our bad against us in Christ. Our good is his filthy rags, and our bad is bad. So it's, it's, it's that, do you, really, do you really see this? In this chapter 5, don't let anybody take this passage in chapter 5 and say this is a judgment of the believer's works for rewards. It's ludicrous. Now, there is a passage that talks about rewards. There's a, there's a few, not that many, but there's a few. And real quickly, let's look real quickly at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Man, the time just flies. I know. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now he starts off in chapter 3, 1 Corinthians. I'm going to go kind of fast. Um, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians, in verses 1 through 4. Actually, you can go down to 1 through 5, I guess. 1 through 5 in chapter 3. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 5. He's talking about how the believers had this, you know, they, they, started, they started man worship. They started worshiping the teachers of the gospel. They started worshiping the Paul and Apollos. They started saying, oh, I'm a Paul. And, oh, I'm of Apollos. No, I like Paul's teaching. Oh, I like Apollos' teaching. Oh, no, I like, you know, uh, whatever. You know, I like this person's teacher, whatever. And Paul said, this is, a, this is an indication of, of, of flesh, of carnality, um, because you're looking, you're looking at the man, the messenger, and not the message. Never, never attach yourself to the man or the woman who's bringing the message of Christ. Amen. Appreciate the one who gives the message. Paul says we should honor those who teach. Appreciate the, the man or the woman who gives the message and pray for them, but never attach yourself to the man or the woman who's bringing the message. It is the message. It is Christ himself. And that's a sign of maturity. A sign of maturity, Paul is saying, is to look beyond the messenger and to be thankful for the messenger but your, but your appreciation is to Christ himself. And you glory in Christ and not in the messenger. Because Paul says, who are we? We're just messengers. What have we done for you? He says, what have we done? Paul said, what have I done? It's Christ who died. You simply have believed on him. Anyway, so look at this. So then he goes and from there and he goes, verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. It, it appears from the passage there was this big thing between Paul and Apollos from the church, not from Paul, but from the church. Like Apollos must have been a really good teacher. Paul was a good teacher and they were like beginning to take sides. And Paul said, this is ridiculous. It's, it's, Paul, Paul actually says there are like three groups of people in the world. There's, 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 we know there's two basic groups. There's those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. Those who, are, who have the life of the Son of God and those who do not have the life of the Son of God. Those who are believers and those who are unbelievers. But there's another division right here, Paul says. There's also this division among the believers. Among the believers because he, because he calls them babes in Christ. A babe in Christ. I wanted to give you solid meat, but you, I could only give you milk because you were still acting like a babe in Christ. So there are divisions even among the believers where the believer walks in a fleshly way because they haven't really grasped the spiritual reality and gone forward and grown beyond just the baby milk. They still live there in a carnal, fleshly way. There's envy, there's strife, there's argument, there's jealousy, there's contention. There's, that's just flesh. That's all that is, flesh. Um, but you know what's cool about it? There's no judgment for that flesh. 
There's no judgment for it because the judgment has already fallen for that flesh. He doesn't mention that, oh, you carnal believers are going to get, you're going to get it. No. It has, to do, it has to do with building with wood, hay, and stubble. If you don't grow in the Spirit, you, you, your life is going to be built with wood, hay, and stubble, and you're not going to have the full... It's like one brother said, it's like... Oh, what did he say? Um, oh, I forget the, the quote. It was really cool about living life without something. They'll come to me later. But, but that's, what, that's what it's about. It's like he wants us to live fully in the Spirit so that we are building with gold and silver and precious jewels and precious stones, rather, and not wood, hay, and stubble because, you know, our whole life work can be just count for nothing spiritually even though we are a believer, even, even though we are on the foundation of Christ because we're working in our own effort, our own strength, doing our, our own deal uh, or, we're, or promoting law and fear and all these things that are not of the Spirit. And so there's not fruit that remains. And that's a key word, remains. We'll see that in this passage that after the fire, the fire will test every man's work. The fire in this passage is not talking about some judgment. It's talking about the life now, the life of faith now on this world. Peter talks about the trial of your faith is like fire. It's like it, it, it shows the test of your, of your life, fire. Jesus said the, wood, the wind and the rain will fall on every house, but the one, the house that stands is because the, the one that has the foundation. So the wind and the rain and the fire is all talking about life, this fallen world we're in, this enemy that wants to destroy us, all these things. If, you, if your house is being built with silver and gold and precious stones which is of the same material as the foundation the the costly stone the foundation stone and in the in the greek precious um stones refers to granite and marble it's it refers to this the same uh fabric as the foundation the stone of christ himself the rock so you build with the same foundation, the same... In other words, as you received Him, walk ye in Him. As you received Him, walk ye in Him. As you began in the Spirit, do you now go back to the flesh to perfect what God began in the Spirit? No. As you received Him, walk ye in Him. Continue in the same way, by grace, through faith, by grace, through faith, by grace, through faith, through the power of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, Spirit, Spirit. Let the fruit of the Spirit come forth, that your fruit might remain. Jesus said, He who abides in me shall bear much fruit, and that fruit shall remain. And if it doesn't remain, when the fire comes through and the wind and the rain and so forth, and we see this in people's lives all the time, people that build their lives around church or a man or, or, or a doctrine or good works, and, they, and tragedy comes because we live in a fallen world and they, they lose faith, so to speak. They, they may, may not lose faith, but they lose hope and they lose, you know, and they just kind of check out of life because of tragedy, because why did God let this happen to me? And why, I did all this for him. Why didn't he? No, you're building with wood, hay and stubble. You have not lived consistently in this reality that it's all of him, it's all of him. It's all of him. It's all of him. It's all of him. No matter what happens, he is my life. Silver, gold, precious stones. And then you can go. I don't care what happens. Because nothing can separate me from the love of God. Neither height, nor width, nor breadth, nor depth. No tragedy, nor good things, nor bad things. Nothing can separate me from the love of God because I know Him. I know who I am in Him. And in union with Him, I can go through anything. For through Christ, I can do all things through Him. Through Him. Focused on Him and Him alone. You see it? So, oh, I wish we had more time. Um, this is really, this is so rich, we don't have really time to do it justice in the next few seconds. Um, but let's do it again some other time because this is really, really good. Um, verse 13, don't let that word day throw you off. It says, verse 13, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is, it is to be revealed with fire. 
and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Notice it's not testing the quantity, but the quality of each man's work. The fire, the fire is, Russ, I think you shared that with me, the, the fire of life, the fire that will test it. It's not, it's not the fire of some day of judgment. It's like when Paul said, put on the full armor of God that you might be able to stand in the evil day. The evil day is life. When the, when the enemy comes at you, put on the full armor of God that you might be able to stand in the evil day. That's what he's talking about here, the day, the day of testing, the day of when the enemy comes at you like a flood, that you might be able to stand, your, your work will stand. That's what he's talking about, not, not a future day of judgment. The word judgment never appears in this passage, but the word reward does. See, this is talking about rewards, but it's not talking about judgment, and there's no mention of a judgment seat of Christ. It, it's, a, it's a picture of, of God explaining to us how important it is to build in the Spirit. And, and to not focus on the reward, but to know there is reward. But build in the Spirit and not with wood and hay and stubble. Don't build with law. Don't build with flesh. Don't build with, with uh, good intentions. Don't build with uh, willpower. Don't build with natural means. Don't build with fear. Don't build with these things that are all of man, all of the earth, all of religion. But build with Christ. Christ alone. Christ alone. Christ alone. Our life to live is Christ. And in that, the Spirit of God will work in us. And he who works in us both to will and to do, according to his good pleasure, will bear much fruit. And he who abides in me, Jesus said, and, and I abide in him, shall bear much fruit, and that fruit shall remain. Amen. And your fruit, the people you talk to, the people that you share with, your life, that people see and hear from your words as a messenger, as an ambassador of this awesome gospel, those people, Paul said, you are my crown of rejoicing in the presence of God. What is my hope? What is my joy? What is my reward? Paul says, it is you in the presence of God rejoicing. That's my crown of rejoicing to know that you have heard, you have seen, you have believed, and much fruit is born as those who hear your voice believe on Him. For you will lead many to righteousness, this righteousness which is by faith, and you shall shine as the stars forever and ever. Amen. Awesome! Amen. We'll do it again. Amen. Was it good? Was it good? Did it help clear some things up? That's the Father's heart. That's the Father's heart. When I started praying this morning, I didn't plan on doing that. The Spirit of God, the Father's heart is that the children not have any fear at all. We eagerly await Him. There is no judgment of the works of the believer. There's only this awesome reward and, uh, and love. He shall, the Son of Man said, When ye come, I will, cause you, I will ask you to sit down, and I will gird myself and serve you. Who does that? Our Lord says, When I come, I will not say, Serve me. I will say, You sit down, and I will gird myself, the Son of Man says, and I will serve you. Peter says, No, you can't wash my feet. No, you're my Lord. No. Yes, that's who He is. And that love compels us, Paul says. The love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ compels us to tell the world of this God who gave Himself for us that we might have no fear and have peace. For we, now we stand in this grace with the peace of God Amen. and peace with God. Amen. That's the Father's heart. Amen. And that's Christ. Amen. Lord, thank You so much. Thank You so much. I pray that this would be heard around the globe, that we would... Break away from this wrong teaching about the judgment seat of Christ. There is a judgment, but that judgment we have no fear of, for we have passed through judgment already and into life by faith in you, Lord, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.